0: Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcroft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Live Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. And it's great to be with you another evening where we continue not only our reflections into Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, but also this Apologetic Thursday. I am using this evening for just not one program, but two programs, because I am going to respond to your question as it relates to the Sacrament of Confession. I have received numerous questions about the sacrament of confession, um, and more specifically, two questions, what are the biblical foundations to the sacrament of confession, and why go to a priest? So I thought what I could do is answer those questions and answer those questions within the narrative of 1 Corinthians 11, because 1 Corinthians 11 is going to have us going back and looking at that need to examine oneself, given Paul's very powerful words we definitely need to do that. Now, before I read to you, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 to 34, I did want to respond to a few comments I have received. Anytime I get a comment, more than one comment about one thing, I, I feel obligated to talk about it. And you know, yesterday evening, I was talking about the word crisis. The word crisis comes from uh, the Greek krino, which is also where we get the word judgment, judge, or discern, discernment. A number of you responded to me because that struck you, apparently. And I have to be honest with you, when I first came across that truth, that the words crisis and discernment come from the same Greek root, it struck me as well. And it struck me as I think it struck you, because in the end, do not all crises that happen in our lives have us or should have us going deeper in our faith, asking new questions. You have to remember what lies behind the word discernment. Okay, the word discernment, yes, means to come to understand, but also, and more specifically, to separate and distinguish. So it's this process of working through, ultimately, what God is trying to reveal to you. Separating, making distinct or distinguishing one thing from another. Okay, God, how are you working through this moment, that moment, this encounter, that encounter? So, yes, the crises that take place in our lives while they be very difficult, should have us asking new questions, and not questions in the abstract, no, very particular, concrete questions that have us re-examining our faith. So crises, discernment coming from the same Greek word krino should be important to our faith, because all of us have experienced some crisis in our faith. And as I mentioned Uh, yesterday, whether it is something we have brought on ourselves or something outside of our control, either way, we should be asking new questions. And as Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI liked to say, where there is a new question, there should be a new beginning, especially as it relates to discernment. So, yeah, very important point there. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 to 34. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without, there's the word, discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment upon himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died but if we judged ourselves truly we should not be judged but when we are judged by the lord we are chastened so that we may not be condemned along with the world so then my brethren when you come together to eat wait for one another if anyone is hungry let him eat at home lest you come together to be condemned about the other things i will give directions when i come all right so first off paul did not say that we had to be worthy to partake of the supper, okay, because all of us are unworthy in that sense. No, but only that we should partake in a worthy manner, okay? So if we are to participate in a worthy manner, what does he say? We must examine our own hearts, make judgment upon what we have done, and confess them to the Lord. To come to the table with unconfessed sin in our lives, my friends, is to be guilty of profaning christ's body and blood for it was sin that nailed him to the cross if we will not judge our own sins then what does paul say god will judge us and chasten us until we do confess and forsake our sins you see my friends the corinthian people neglected to examine themselves but boy they sure in the heck seem to be experts at examining everyone else. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) Mea culpa. When the church gathers together, brothers and sisters, we must be careful not to become these kind of religious detectives, if you will, who are constantly watching everyone else, but who fail at the same time to acknowledge our own sin. If we eat and drink in an unworthy manner, we eat and drink judgment upon ourselves. And yeah, that is not to be taken lightly. The word chastening, I think, is very important here because chastening is God's loving way of dealing with his sons and daughters to encourage them to mature in Christ. If you were to go to Paul's letter to the Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 to 11, this is what we read. It is not a judge condemning a criminal in this case. But a loving father punishing his disobedient and stubborn child. Chastening proves God's love for us, and chastening can, if we cooperate, perfect God's life in us. Remember, God chastens those whom He loves. He chastens those whom He loves. We should be mindful of that, as sons and daughters of God as we reflect into these verses. Now The word unworthily could mean a number of different things, and many commentaries will talk about this. George Montague, in his commentary on 1 Corinthians, makes the point that it could mean any state of serious, unrepented, or unconfessed sin, but explicitly here it refers to the disorder and selfishness shown in the context of the Eucharist itself. Essentially, my friends, a sacrilegious disrespect for the sacrament itself, sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. And something else here, my friends, the body is also the body of Christ, that is the church, and thus to receive the sacrament in this state of disharmony with the community, as some are doing, as Paul highlights, is part of what is sacrilegious. St. John Chrysostom, one of the great church fathers, you have heard me quote him before, had this to say on the word unworthily. I found this very interesting. How can it be other than unworthily when it is he who neglects the hungry, who besides overlooking him puts him to shame? For failing to give to the poor, cast one out of the kingdom. Consider how great the evil will prove to have done so many sacrileges. You have partaken of such a table, and when you should be kinder than any, and like the angels, you have become more cruel than any." you have tasted the blood of the Lord, and not even at that moment do you acknowledge your brother. Of what forgiveness then are you worthy? For even if before this you had not known him, you should have come to know him from the table, for he has been deemed worthy to partake of it. And St. John Chrysostom closes emphatically, and you do not even judge him worthy of your food. So some very powerful words there verse 29, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Again, body here has the twofold sense of the Eucharistic body, right? Which is the body of the risen Lord Jesus present in the sacrament, but also the body of the church, the community gathered for the Lord's Supper, for it too is the body of Christ. So this is why St. John Chrysostom says what he says. The two are inseparable. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 17, because the loaf of bread is one, we though many are one body, for we all partake of the one Lord. Now, what more can we say as it relates to the examine yourself? An examination of conscience is very important before we receive our Lord, and consequently very important before we go to the sacrament of confession. And here, yes, is where I want to begin at least somewhat of a reflection into the sacrament of confession by engaging what an examination of conscience is all about, especially as it relates to these series of verses and receiving our Lord in a worthy manner. Off the top, we should understand an examination of conscience is what we could call a prayerful self-reflection on our words and deeds in the light of the gospel in the light of the gospel, to determine how we may have sinned against God. Now, what does an examination of conscience look like? I pulled up a number of different examinations of conscience, and I'm going to go ahead and read from one that I pulled up from EWTN to just get us a sense of what an examination of conscience is all about. Most are based on the Ten Commandments. You can um, structure it many different ways. The Ten Commandments is already there in its structure, so it really allows you um, ten points from which to reflect how we might break God's uh, law. I'm not going to get into all of these, but I do want to go through some of it, just so that we might get a sense of what we are talking about, for those of you out there who are not familiar with what an examination of conscience is all about. So how about the first commandment? I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt not have strange gods before me. So here, we can ask any number of questions. Have I sinned against religion by seriously believing in the New Age movement? Something that is widely problematic today, huh? Or maybe Scientology, Astrology, Horoscopes, any kind of superstition or engaging in the occult. Remember, the word occult is different than the word cult. The word occult speaks more to the magic element of worship, where occult just simply means worship, right? Right? There are other questions to be asked here, I think. Did I endanger my Catholic faith or cause scandal by associating with anti-Catholic or anti-Christian groups? Have fame, fortune, money, uh, my career, pleasure, so on and so forth, replaced God as my highest priority? Have I neglected my daily prayers? To neglect your daily prayer is to spend time with something else, my friends. Yes, to neglect prayer is to neglect ministry, but it is as such because we can't possibly be informed in our ministry if we are neglecting God. All right, how about this second commandment? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So here again, we have a series of questions we can ask ourselves. Have I committed blasphemy by using the name of God and Jesus Christ to swear rather than to praise? Oh, brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to pray a prayer of reparation for every time the name of Jesus Christ is used in vain. Have I committed sacrilege by showing disrespect to holy objects, something like the crucifix, huh? Or contempt for religious persons or for sacred places? Have I committed sacrilege by going to holy communion in the state of mortal sin without first going to confession? So this second commandment very much addresses what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, huh? Did I violate that one-hour fast before communion? Did I break the laws of fast and abstinence during Lent? We just came out of Lent. Did we we break those laws of fast and abstinence? Are we neglecting our Easter duty to receive Holy Communion at least once? Have I neglected to support the church and, and the poor by sharing of my time, talent, and treasure? So many questions we can ask under the umbrella of these individual commandments. How about the commandment, remember to keep holy the Sabbath? The obvious one there is, did I miss Mass on any Sunday or holy day of obligation? Have we shown disrespect for leaving Mass early, not paying attention or not joining in the prayers? Do I do unnecessary work on Sunday, which could have been done the day before? Do we keep the Sabbath holy, right, holy to be set apart? Have we been stingy in our support for the church? Do we give of our time and talent? How about this fourth commandment, honor thy father and mother? If you are a parent, maybe you can ask the question, have I set a bad example for my children by casually missing mass, neglecting prayer? Do I show little or no interest in my children's faith and practice of it? This is a big question for us as parents because this is a huge vocation to raise our children in virtue and beatitude. Are you expressing, communicating, teaching, living those moral values to them? And if you are a child listening to this, well, we're all children of parents, right? So as children, have we been disobedient and or disrespectful to our parents or guardians? We should should include that there too, right? Have we caused our parents unnecessary worry and anxiety by our attitude, behavior, or moods? See, all these things come up when you carefully consider what these commandments are all about. Again, we're not going to go through all these, but I do want you to get a sense of what is going on here. How about this last one? Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Have you told a lie in order to deceive someone? Have you told the truth with the purpose and intention of ruining someone's reputation? What is rightfully called the sin of detraction, one of those sins of gossip. One of the, the questions that this commandment highlights is, really in the end, do you enjoy to spread gossip and secrets about others? Do you actually enjoy hearing bad news about other people, especially your enemies? My dear friends, when you get underneath these Ten Commandments, so many questions can be asked that really have us thinking differently, not only about our relationship with God, but also our relationship with one another. And here, just let me direct you to the USCCB website, the United States Catholic Conference of Bishops website that goes through these Ten Commandments. You can also go to EWTN.com and just do a search on their engine with the Ten Commandments and and an examination of conscience. This is something we need to be doing, my friends. Very, very important. Because when Paul says, examine yourself, what he's asking us to do is to look in the mirror... Put the whiteness of Christ behind you, okay? So you see the stain of your sin and examine your conscience. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we all come up short, right? We are all vested with the flesh. We all sin. We know that, but we don't settle for that. Mindful Philippians 2.12, we work out our salvation in fear and trembling, seeking to be transformed in Christ each and every day. There's always going to be a gap between the person we are and the person we ought to be. The call is, our vocation is, to close that gap, if you will. When Jesus says, be perfect like my Father in heaven is perfect, we know we are never going to attain perfection this side of the heavenly Jerusalem. What he's calling us to do is to close that gap, okay? Strive to be perfect. Examine yourself every day. And as Paul speaks to it here, yes, yes, be sure you do so because if you don't, then you will place judgment upon yourself and incur spiritual death. And we don't want that. Now, all of that being said, let us talk about the sacrament of confession because as I talk about the examination of conscience, it's one thing to do an examination of conscience but it's another thing to take that into the sacrament of confession. I mean, Paul's teaching in these series of verses, at the very least, implies a close connection between the Eucharist and the reception of it and the sacrament of confession, the sacrament of reconciliation. As far as the question goes, what are the biblical foundations to the sacrament of confession? Let us go ahead and go to John chapter 20. And I want to go ahead and read... Well, I'll read verses 19 to 23. So if you have your Bibles out there, if you want to turn to John chapter 20, verses 19 to 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, and pay close attention here, my friends, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So, in these series of verses, we have a clear nod to a biblical foundation to the sacrament of confession. What's interesting here, though, is John uses an expression that recurs in significant context in the Greek Old Testament. It appears in Genesis 2-7, where the Lord did what? Breathe life into Adam. We also see it in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 21. Where the Greek version specifies that Elijah resuscitated a boy with his breath, we also see it in Ezekiel chapter 37 verse nine, a very famous prophecy where God raises an army of corpses to new life by the breath of the spirit. So all of this is the background to those words, "Forgive the sins." My right dear friends, Jesus' ministry of mercy and reconciliation continues in and through the apostles. The power to forgive and retain sins in the name of Jesus is clearly authorizing the sacrament of confession. And I should say here, the Council of Trent, the council that convened in the 16th century, connects this episode with the institution of the sacrament of reconciliation, by which Christ does what? But distributes divine forgiveness to the world through the successors of the apostles and their assistance in the presbyterate, right? So, to the bishops and subsequently to the priests. Now, as it relates to why we as Catholics go to a priest to confess our sins, there's a very important passage that comes to us from the opening chapter to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 40. And there, we read about the cleansing of the leper. Pay close attention to what we read in chapter 1 of the Gospel of Mark, verse 40 and following. And a leper came to him begging him, And kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And he sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to the people. But when he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in the country and people came to him from every corner. Now, why would Jesus say, show yourself? I mean, did he just not cleanse him? (laughs) Why go to the priest? Well, according to Mosaic law, You had to show yourself to the Levitical priest because the Levitical priest would, in this case, inspect the leper and determine their status as clean or unclean. And with approval, an individual pronounced clean would then be able to offer sacrifices at the temple and be reinstated in the worshiping community of Israel. Now, my dear friends, (laughs) what do you have going on here? But someone going before a priest under the command of Jesus Christ, and being pronounced clean or unclean. Now, let us be clear on something, okay? When a Catholic goes to the sacrament of confession, it is not the priest who absolves them of their sins. No. The Catholic teaching is that it is Christ who is absolving them of their sins. The priest is simply in persona Christi, in the person of Christ. So, it is Christ who is absolving their sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And where do we get this? Well, what did I just read from John chapter 20, verses 19 to 23? If you forgive the sins, they are forgiven. If they are retained, they are retained. My dear friends, we all go to a doctor when we are sick. Well, in the sacrament of confession, we are going to the divine physician. We are going to the divine physician. And please remember (laughs) that Christ is the one absolving the sin, not the priest. The priest has been, yes, ordained to do so, but only under the power of Christ and influence of the Holy Spirit. Something else here as it relates to the sacrament of confession, we all need good spiritual direction. The sacrament of confession is a great place for spiritual direction, is a great place for spiritual counseling certainly in the secular world, many of us go to counselors to help us with our practical, material, and social problems. Well, why not go to someone who's trained to help us with a spiritual problem? And oh, by the way, we receive, of course, a profound grace by being absolved from our sins. So, you ask me, what are the biblical foundations to the sacrament of confession, and why go to a priest? Well, there you have it. It's something that is rooted in not only John chapter 20 verses 19 to 23, as well as the opening chapter to the gospel of Mark, I mean, why would Jesus instruct someone to show themselves before the priest? We have to remember that Christ does not abolish the law, but he fulfills it and transforms it. It is right that we still go to a priest as one of the great seven sacraments, because he has transformed that right that we might be made anew in it. And just by way of a P.S. While I'm thinking about it, there's actually another passage we should consider. If you were to go to James chapter five, didn't have this down in my notes. I'm flipping to James chapter five, verse fifteen. We read, "And the prayer of faith will save the sick man, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven." Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. So here we have this language of confession again. Now, this particular command must be interpreted within the context of the anointing of the sick, right, where the elders presumably hear the confession of the sick person before his sins are remitted through the sacrament, but nonetheless, of course, the sacrament of confession all the while. All right, all glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you.